This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen, for those who are willing to listen. Beatty Deutsch, elite marathon runner, Israel's national champion, Olympic and world championships hopeful, face of the Adidas Impossible is Nothing campaign, and orthodox Haredi mother of five. Five years ago, I was super out of shape and decided I needed to do something about it and signed up for a marathon. (laughs) That's what got me started on my running journey. And I did completely surprise myself that very first race and ended up running like a 327 marathon. But even after that marathon, I had no clue what was in store. Her running style and extraordinary pace isn't the first thing one notices. I'm not changing this part about myself. The fact is I'm an observant Jew and this is who I am and this is how I identify. It's not something I'm changing anytime soon. So I'm not gonna worry about it because if I did start thinking about, oh, my skirt is weighing me down, like that would affect my performance more from the mental aspect than from the actual skirt itself, you know? Her values attracted Adidas to seek her out to become one of their elite athletes, joining Lionel Messi, David Beckham, and Beyonce on the Impossible Is Nothing roster. For a multinational corporate that usually shies away from God and spirituality, this is quite the departure. I believe that there is incredible change, you know, coming and we uh, we continue to strive for maintaining our standards of religiosity and our relationship with God while also, of course, pursuing goals and dreams. Marathon mother, Brocha, also known as BT Deutsch. I came to find you via the Adidas sponsorship and uh, I knew exactly what it was that I was looking at when I first saw the image and then I, I and then I read the backstory and um, that I've been wanting to talk to you all this time. So do you still want to go without vision or are you happy just... The only reason I want to go without the video is because I was going to like maybe clean up a little bit or fold one. <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's fine. You can do that and uh, we can have a real if I Zoom then can I can I still like talk on the phone? Yeah, like, you can. I it's can like, talk, a, like regular... Yeah, it's like a phone call then. So, um right. as you please. Feel okay, comfortable. Great. Feel comfortable as as you are. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is brought to you with Dangor Education. BT Deutsch, Haredi marathon runner and triathlete. Welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know if I can officially be called triathlete yet. I'm kind of like a, you know, do a triathlon in my spare time for fun person. Um. <laughs> well, you set yourself very high bars. So if, if I call you a triathlete, um, if you want to wait a few weeks before you accord yourself that honor, that is perfectly understandable. Now, I have covered sport for 30 years. I have never come across anyone quite like you. And your story of taking up elite running is almost unbelievable. Tell us about how you took up running, because it's comparatively recently that you realized uh, that you were not just an athlete for fitness, that you were a professional level elite athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I never imagined myself doing this as a career, but I did always know I loved sports. And um, the real truth is just, you know, five years ago, I was super out of shape and decided I needed to do something about it and signed up for a marathon. (laughs) Um, That's what got me started on my running journey. But 
And I did completely surprise myself that very first race and ended up running like a 327 marathon. But even after that marathon, I had no clue what was in store. You know, it's definitely been a journey. And um, I only really realized how serious I could be almost three years ago in January 2019 when I won the Israel National Championship race which is an incredible achievement and puts you on the very edge of being an Olympic and World Championship qualifier. We're not quite there yet, but that is the dream now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've had two very, you know, close encounters with the with the qualifying standard. And I, I believe I'm, I believe I'll do it this February, God willing. Now, to watch you run is fantastic. And this is where I advertise your Instagram feed, because... Um, you really tell your story both in picture and in text so very clearly. That is where I was able to do all my preparation for this interview. And you have extraordinary speed, technique, and might I say, a sort of Michael Johnson style of running. Do you work on your running technique, how you run, when, when you're training? Is this your natural position? So I would say that naturally I'm, I'm very, I have very high cadence. So that was always a good thing. Cause I like just take very fast steps, but I also have really short legs, like I'm not built like a runner. So, um, one thing I did work on with my coach was lengthening my stride, but I think people kind of get confused when they think like working on your running form, they think like, Oh, wh- while you're running, you should concentrate on, on doing certain things. But I don't necessarily find that to be the case. I find that if you do a lot of good like drills and strides and certain strength exercises, so you build up and strengthen certain parts, then naturally it will translate into having better running form as opposed to trying to concentrate on fixing parts of your form while you're running. So my coach was really good at giving us drills and we did a lot. I do, I do and did a lot of strides and I do regular strength training. I think all of that has contributed to helping me improve my form. That's really helpful because there's a very uniform style in running, unlike perhaps other professional sports. I'm thinking about a footballer uh, back in this country, a world-famous player called Michael Owen, who developed shin splints because he was an elite player from his teenage years. And actually, he was still growing. And he had to develop a different running style to protect his hamstrings. And unfortunately the latter stage of his career wasn't as successful as the start. So yours is about muscle building and and building a solid technique, pound after pound, foot after foot of running, isn't it? It's it's more uniform than football. Yeah, I think that um, I'm also really lucky that I do have naturally a strong body, which has helped me, you know, because some people could get injured right away. Like I started training for a marathon and just like dove into that distance and didn't have any injuries, thank God. And I've been able to train really consistently um, and build up pretty high mileage because I do have a lot of natural strength. And of course, there's a mental strength required too, because I interviewed Roger Black before the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, and he was so convinced that he could claim silver. After it, I believed he could too. He duly did. He was never going to beat Michael Johnson. But this was a wonderful moment for Roger. So how much of this is physical strength? Obviously, that's a massive part. But there's a, there's a mental strength as well to being a professional athlete. And you, being a religious person, <laughs> there's another dimension. There's a spiritual strength as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that mental strength is kind of the key 
that unlocks like all of your physical strength. Like you could be an incredibly talented, physically strong person, but if you want to be successful in races, you need to have that mental strength and inner confidence and ability to, you know, just so many different to override like emotion and pain and be focused. And I think that having spiritual strength, like having a complete trust and faith in God adds a like superpower to your to your success as an athlete, because you kind of can show up to a race and have no worries or anxiety or fear. Cause it's like, I've done the hard work and the rest is in God's hands. And to have that natural state of calmness really allows you to, you know, to tap into another level of physical performance that I don't think every athlete can do. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail coming up, but there was something about the whites in Roger's eyes and the absolute focus to the answers that he gave me that convinced me. And it was towards the end of his career and he got that silver in Atlanta and it was a pretty ordinary Olympic Games for Great Britain, but that was the standout performance. Now, talking about your strong body, as a very young girl, you were a gymnast but you gave it up after your bat mitzvah because you didn't want to wear the leotards in front of men. And then you took up taekwondo and became a black belt during high school. And you've done skiing and snowboarding, waterboarding, all wearing a skirt. Because actually, there's a counterintuitiveness about being an orthodox person. You believe that the confines of uh, Haredi life actually provide you with a lot of freedom. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, you know, one time I heard this class, it was it was many years ago, and I can't remember even like, who gave it and most of the class, but there was one thing that stuck out with me. And he, he kept talking about how when you have order and discipline and rules, that actually gives you the possibility for even like greater, like, greater creative output in a certain extent, like the uh, greater achievement. And I didn't really understand it. And now it kind of resonates with me. The fact that having that structure and having those, the rules that I have and, and thriving within it is almost like a greater level of accomplishment. Um, and for me, it's, it, it, I've always felt that my religious observance is, is the truest expression of who I am. And that sport is kind of a tool to express myself and to fulfill my potential, but it's not like the be all and end all. And ultimately I want to use sport as this vehicle for getting closer to God and for getting closer to myself and not the other way around. Like I don't want sport to dominate my life. I want my life to really be an expression of my inner soul and being. This is a fascinating discussion and it begs the question. I spoke to Dr. Nachman Shai, who's a former Knesset member, and of course now he's Minister of the Diaspora within the current Israeli government. And um, he said that uh, Haredim, uh, he believed that um, Haredim were looking beyond uh, the confines of their religious lives, and they were looking into secular pursuits to fulfill their own goals. And so I'm wondering, actually, BT, whether actually you might be an inspiration for orthodox women and men, for that matter, to sort of achieve their goals, but also stay within a Haredi community? Well, I certainly hope so. It's part of why I do what I do. I think there are many amazing Haredi role models. You know, someone I look up to very much is Judge Ruchi Fryer, who I think, you know, also embodies this on an incredible level. She's a 
She's the first female Orthodox judge. She started a, you know, all woman team of um, paramedics in Brooklyn. And there's many other, you know, ultra Orthodox men and women that I see have paved their own path. And I think I always say people ask me, you know, have you received any backlash? And and I say, you know, when you have a community that is so focused on con- confining and conformity, so as soon as you do something slightly different, of course, you're going to receive some kind of response from certain people. Not everyone is going to understand what you're doing, but ultimately the path towards change requires individuals to to step out and pave their own path. And I, and I definitely see that happening. And I believe that there is incredible change, you know, coming and we, uh, we continue to to strive for, you know, maintaining our standards of of religiosity and our relationship with God, while also, of course, pursuing goals and dreams. BT, do you think your athletic life as a child and also as a teenager helped to set you up to be a runner as an adult? Because, you know, we've mentioned skiing, snowboarding, waterboarding, and getting a black belt in taekwondo, all this after quitting gymnastics, all of these build different muscle groups within your body. So I'm just sort of wondering whether actually being a marathon runner and indeed challenging yourself as a triathlete are actually in the background of your body with all these different sports. I mean, they always, they say today that it's really important for kids to, to not to, not to do, not to like be specific, to avoid specificity in exercise or in training for something because yeah like you're saying it's really important to develop all the muscle groups and for them to just have different experiences so I definitely had that as a child but I think I was lacking like you know you see a lot of professional runners the fact that they have so many years of aerobic training under their belt like consistent aerobic training from high school and college allows them to achieve very fast you know shorter distance speed and then build on that in the, when they start training in the marathon. And I don't, I don't have those years of aerobic training yet, but at the same time, my muscles are fresher and I haven't put as much, you know, impact on my body. So there's like ups and downs for both. There's plus and minuses, you know, of my upbringing. And I always felt as a child, I think more than just the physical, like I always felt like I could do anything because my parents did give me a broad range of experiences. And, you know, I, I, I always knew I was going to have sport and movement in my life somehow. Let's talk about your background, because obviously you weren't born in Israel. You were born in the United States. I spoke to Ambassador Michael Oren, who made Aliyah at the age of 24. And it was being an American, being a New Yorker, which gave him the educational background and the motivation to succeed in Israeli society. How much of your Americanness, if you like, enabled you to pursue an athletic career in such a surprise way like this as a mother of five children. Yeah, the part of my Americanness that has allowed me to pursue this is the fact that I'm much less, I'm not scared of the need to conform. If I was, if I grew up in Israel and a fully Haredi community in Israel, I might not have the courage and confidence to do something different from what my, you know, society and community was doing. But I think the fact that I was raised in a more open-minded, you know, still very religious American community, but always a little more open-minded, just gave me that, you know, confidence to do something that I knew internally is right for me, but it might not be what everyone else is doing. 
So I would say that's the way being an American has helped me. (laughs) That is a profound answer, very interesting one. Uh, The relationship between uh, the slightly freer U.S. upbringing and indeed those experienced of, of Jews who grew up in Israel and indeed Britain and other Western nations. I always think South African Jews are given the opportunity to lead an outdoor life that uh, perhaps we're not able to because it's so cold here. (laughs) 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 Now, people, of course, make personal sacrifices to achieve their goals, and yours is the Olympic and World Championship dream. But there's one aspect of your life that you've mentioned here more than once that you just simply won't budge on, your religious life as a Haredi woman. How much of that, though, is counterintuitive? How much of this is an inspiration to you rather than an hindrance you've you've hinted at how the spiritual side of being an orthodox jew uh, lifts you so that you're calm at the starting gun that you're prepared and hashem will look after you so actually being a religious person means that your sacrifices are within the context of a wider belief system aren't they yeah 100 percent. i mean I never say, I always say, I don't look at it as sacrifices. And one thing I learned from Dina Castor, who's just like a running mentor of mine, is she never called anything she did for sport a sacrifice. It was a choice. And if you're pursuing something that's important to you, then it's going to be a choice that you make because you want it. And so to me, it's, I'm just choosing what's important to me. And it's just a reflection of my priorities and values. So it never feels like something's holding me back. I just, it just feels like the natural and right path for me. And, you know, if I, if I really would be honest, yeah, sometimes it's difficult to run in all the modest clothing, especially in the summer, especially in the sea heat, especially when I'm at a race and I am aware of the, of the minutes that I might be losing because of it. But for the most part, it doesn't cross my mind. And when I get asked this question, yeah, I'm filled with like joy and pride at the fact that like this is the choice I could take with me. That's something eternal because at the end of the day, I'm not taking my running times or my podiums or my gold medals up to heaven with me. Like I'm only taking my choices. Those are who I am. Well, that's wonderful. That's a really wonderful quote to uh, to, to reflect on. And uh, mazel tov to you because you're the Israel national marathon champion with a time of 2.31, half marathon time of 1.14. You've just missed the cutoff for the Olympic 2020 marathon race, but even getting close to Olympic time is, is really amazing. As you say, just five years after starting a career running marathons while um, being a full-time mum of four back then, uh, and then you even ran a marathon while pregnant with your fifth child. Um <laughs> I mean, you were out of shape five years ago. I mean, I mean, this is just this is just this is just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. How old were you five years ago? I'm not being rude here. I'm just trying to measure it from an athletic point of view. Oh, how old am I? How old were you five years ago when you decided, right, I'm going to start running? Oh, I'm good at this. I started running. I started running. uh, I was 26, 27. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy. Now, your other restriction, this is as remarkable as I thought it would be, this interview, I must tell you. Um, it's, of course, your insistence on maintaining modest clothing while running. You've, you've got a headscarf, long skirts, 
a T-shirt as opposed to the lighter clothes of other runners. Now, obviously, everything is so motivated to positivity, but come on. You know, surely you look at other your other competitors and think, oh, you know, um, wearing something a little bit shorter that wasn't flapping quite as much might help me a bit. Ergonomics. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, you know, it's funny. I listen to, like, a lot of um, clean sport, the Clean Sport podcast, and they're always asking the runners, like, about, you know, when you're lining up against someone, you know, especially on the world stage where there's a lot of athletes – you know that you never know they, they they could and probably will be doping they're like what are you thinking in your mind and 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 the runners always say the same thing they're like I'm just focusing focusing on myself and what I can control and you know I'm not going to worry about what I can't control and so like in the, like it doesn't if if you get all caught up in like oh my gosh I'm running against someone who's doping then it, it's going to affect your mindset and to me it's the same thing like I'm not changing this part about myself. The fact is I'm an observant Jew and this is who I am and this is how I identify. It's not something I'm changing anytime soon. So I'm not going to worry about it because if I did start thinking about, oh, my skirt is weighing me down, like that would affect my performance more from the mental aspect than from the actual skirt itself, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I understand. That's very interesting. So despite these um, issues, these things, these insistences, your orthodoxies in terms of your running, you're consistently improving your times. Uh, you ran a personal record of two hours, 31 minutes, 39 seconds prior to the Olympics. Just missed that cutoff by less than two minutes. Uh, you ran in Berlin. It meant that you'd missed the opportunity for a second time because 2.29.30 is the target. I know that was upsetting for you, but you're going to do it, aren't you? I really believe you're going to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with my story in Berlin, but in Berlin, I actually got Corona on the day of the race. Oh, did you? I I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So I was really in top shape. Like I, I was a hundred percent confident. I actually ran the first half of that marathon with Corona in one fourteen thirty one, And then obviously like my body just like literally come, I didn't know I had Corona. I didn't realize how sick I was. I, I only started feeling sick halfway through and I felt really sick and I did manage to finish, but I like collapsed at the finish. I ran a 244. It's probably the world record for a marathon with Corona, though I highly advise advise against it. But yeah, I'm thank God it's two months since that race and I feel it's more than two months and I feel fine, a lot better and I'm feeling really good and my training's going well. And yes, I'm absolutely confident that um, in February when I run in Seville, in Spain, God willing, I will run that time to uh, hit the world standard. And I'd like to be in Eugene, Oregon in 2022, July 2022, for the world championships. So that's my goal. It's an amazing target. And uh, please, God, uh, long COVID is not an issue for you as a professional athlete. And uh, here's the kicker for me, because this is where I discovered you. Adidas took note of your unique achievements and have decided to sponsor you in that uh, world-famous Impossible is Nothing campaign. And when I look at all the other people involved in this, I think David Beckham is one of them, who incidentally wears a Moggin Dovid whilst in charge of his Miami soccer team. That's nice. He's got a, a Jewish grandfather. That's where that comes from. I mean, wow, Adidas. The, you know, that is the Premier League of sponsorship. I know it's not the primary thing, but it's really elevated you to a sort of another level of fame. 
Well, I think that it was interesting to me that Adidas actually reached out to me and wanted to highlight the fact that I am a religious athlete. And, you know, it was the first time that a company was, I think a lot of times companies almost shy away from yes, featuring from, yes. like religious things because they're scared of it. And for Adidas, it was like, no, no, this is what we want to show the world. So that I thought was really cool. And I always say like, when you're confident in yourself, when you respect yourself, other people respect you. And I think that was the case for me. They, they respected who I am and what I express, and they wanted to highlight that. I'm so pleased you gave that answer. Now, you mentioned before you don't want to call yourself a triathlete. I'd like to call you a triathlete. Now, that must lend <laughs> itself to a multi, your multi-sports background of, of, of history, the conditioning of different uh, muscle groups. I mean, as I say, you did taekwondo. You got a black belt in that. That's no mean achievement. Uh, before that, of course, you were in gymnastics, and then you've also done water sports as well. But you've got to concentrate on the marathon. I mean, the triathlon must be just a bit of fun. The, the marathon is the goal, isn't it? Or, 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 or does the fitness and conditioning of being a triathlete uh, lend itself to strengthening your times and your, your, your opportunities to improve yourself as a marathon runner? Well, I do currently like swim and bike for cross training, but very minute, like not that much and nothing, no workouts. So I don't know. I, my husband actually really wanted me. He thought I have a lot of potential as a track athlete, but the amount of training it requires and just like, I wasn't, I wasn't so keen on it right now. Not, not, not because I don't think I would love it just because like practically my kids are pretty, are still young and need me around. But, you know, I, I, I haven't ruled it out for my future. <laughs> That's amazing. How old are your kids, by the way? I have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> now, uh, also, yeah. you, you, you've got the full support and backing and advice from your community rabbi as well. I mean, you know, when you, when you walk into shul... I mean, you're a bit of a hero, aren't you? I mean, you must be. I know. I know. I, I couldn't. I know there's a mechitza and everything, but I couldn't stop staring at this amazing athlete, this inspiration <laughs> in our shul. I know that. I know that. I know I would. I know I wouldn't be allowed. People, people do tell me, give me positive feedback for sure. You know, I get a lot of nice messages and a lot of compliments, and but I mean. I'm really blessed. Like I've always enjoyed what I'm doing because I love it for myself. So I always say like, I'm the same person I was, I, I, when I was that anonymous runner and I want to continue to stay that way. You know, I do this because I love it. <laughs> yes, quite, quite. Now you talk about manifestation as a way to achieve your goals, to affect your own reality. And this is obviously something within the uh, psyche of your athletic achievements. I have a great interest in this style of psychology and motivation. In secular terms, I've seen a, a sort of parallel belief system called cosmic ordering. But this manifestation idea is such a part of Jewish ideas as well, isn't it? It's the belief in what's to come, the, the belief in not yet, but it's going to happen. Being an athlete lends itself to the sort of Jewish psychology of believing in something better than you can be as much as you can possibly achieve. Yeah, I think that not everyone's even really aware of the power of manifestation. And I think a lot of people almost laugh at it. But if you overlook, like there's, if you, if you begin to view the world from this perspective and it's definitely, I mean, today it's a popular 
you know, psychological thing, but there's, it, it has tremendous roots in Judaism and Jewish outlook. And I, I've learned a lot from that perspective. And I think when you begin to look at the world that way, it can really change your mindset and you can a hundred percent affect and create the reality that you desire. Because it starts from inside. It's not just about believing it and it will happen. You have to make changes in yourself to engage this positive thinking and make those differences. It's not just something that, you know, you sort of put two fingers up in the wind and the wind blows you in the right direction. You have to start affecting your life. Uh, Yes, it definitely requires inner work. And a lot of times there can be limiting beliefs that are holding you back from perhaps achieving certain things and you'll have to work on those. And, you know, I've done certain classes that have given me more confidence and clarity in, in what it, what it is to manifest, but I still have more to learn myself. So I just, I, I think it's a very cool principle and I I've seen some really powerful examples of it in my own life and I want to continue applying it. BT, do you think that uh, you can beat the biological clock that you can run older than other people because of course marathon running does lend itself to um older bodies too doesn't it you could run into your 40s maybe not as an elite athlete yeah, but, but I, you I can keep going so. can't no, you? you could i think i'll be running into my 40s definitely i mean my running age is pretty young and <laughs> i mean you never know but god willing that's my hope and dream imagine if you were kenyan bt then you'd be uh Easy. I, I watch those athletes with their with their thin bone systems, and uh, it, it just lends itself to certain gene groups, doesn't it? The Kenyans are amazing distance runners, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it was so funny. I was listening to a class today from my rabbi, actually, Rabbi Kellerman, who's, who he himself is a marathon runner. So he was, right. <laughs> the class is about bitachon, faith and trust, and he was talking about the Kenyan runners, and he was specifically saying how... You know, he was once interviewing, uh, you know, some of the top runners in a, in, a, in a race who had won about their the way they grew up. And they were talking about how, you know, they never had food in their village. So they ate only every other day and they ran to school without shoes. And he was saying all the things that someone would look at. Oh, my gosh, they had such a horrible upbringing. It was like designed from God to allow them to be such incredible runners. And like specifically the things that look like such hardship were what enabled them to have such strength because like running as kids barefoot is what allow them to have perfect running form and eating every other day, their metabolism improved so much and they have such lean bodies and they were able to, you know, burn fat instead of just sugar and all these things. And he was saying also, they always say that, you know, when he asked them, what's your secret, they, they point to heaven and they're like, God. So they know the same, the truth also. <laughs> yes, yeah, so their they're competition uh, uh, in more senses than one in, in terms of the heavens and in terms of their belief system similar to yours. That's amazing. It's, this is, honestly, I am so pleased we got this interview time together, BT, because uh, this, you're, you're one of the most impressive people uh, in sports that I've, that I've ever interviewed. Your story is utterly unique, but you say your rabbi uh, is a marathon runner. I've never had a rabbi who even resembled a marathon runner. Uh, maybe I need to change shoes. You should speak to him. My rabbi is incredibly impressive. He's the most humble person. He's amazing, very special. He, 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 I look up at him so much, but he like lives his life to the books, does ever, and just, he's always there for so many people. And he's really a serious runner. He's hoping to run like a, he wants to do like a three, 
he's I think 311. His PR is maybe like 320, something like that. Wow. He's she trains pretty pretty intensely. Tell me about living in Jerusalem. Uh, was it always about moving to Yerushalayim, making Aliyah uh, as a child growing up in the United States? Was that the final destination for you growing up? Well, I'm very lucky that my parents took us to Israel a lot. And I grew up going to Israel for like all the th- three festivals. And so it was, yeah, always on my mind that I wanted to work. And running there as well. I mean, does that give you an extra kick? Or is are you just in sort of um, running mode, whether you're in Berlin or Seville or Jerusalem? R- running at home, what does that mean? Does it make a difference? Well, I love traveling just always. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a world explorer at my like heart in my heart that's where I love to be but there's nothing like home and there's nothing like running through the streets of Yerushalayim and if you ask you what what my favorite race is I'll say the Jerusalem Marathon. <laughs> that's great that sounds great uh BT Deutsch you're a, you're a genuine inspiration to me and I hope uh my listeners as well to Jewish women non-Jewish women and probably anyone in the whole world who's compromised by any form of self-doubt I wish you every success stay injury free and COVID-free, and much muzzle in achieving all your goals, and let's make you to the Olympics and uh, the World Championships as well. Thank you, BT. I'm willing. Thank you so much. It was a great interview. I'm glad we finally made it happen, and thanks for your patience with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure. Wow, that was... Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Bringing Israel and the diaspora together. And while you're on, did you catch these episodes of Johnny Gould's Jewish State? Press the subscribe button. Scroll back for Deborah Feldman, author of the Netflix smash drama hit, Unorthodox. I was very young when I sold my book and I was a nobody, right? I had no resume. I had never published anything before, not even a short story. Um, And everybody kept telling me, you know, you're 22. You're lucky to even have a publisher that wants to take you on. I had had 25 rejections from other publishers. Um, So it really felt like I was being given that last chance. And everyone said to me very clearly, you don't really have much choice here. You need to trust people who know better than you. And so many, many decisions were made, which were probably smart commercial decisions. I'm sure, you know, that I didn't really have a say in. And I've, you know, you learn to live with that. Um, This is, I think, the cost of, of accomplishing something like this when you're very young and you're inexperienced. Ex-foreign affairs and diplomatic TV correspondent, now best-selling author Tim Marshall, on the power of geography. Basically, we just really need to try as hard as we can to understand the other side and and seek to uh, seek to make compromises. Um, I'll leave you with that. I actually think compromise is a beautiful word. Danny, the Mossad commander, and the extraordinary story of. The Red Sea Spies. Yeah, I wanted to tell you that because this is something I know. I think I, I never told anybody. Danny, this is very, very beautiful. And <laughs> I. <laughs> this is really going to be uh, an extraordinary interview. And the inside story on the making of Fauda. It's a special unit, very special unit that actually Israel created in order to avoid mass casualties. You have to go inside at difficult and crazy places in order to, to pick and to take just one terrorist instead of bombing a whole uh, neighborhood or something like that. So you risk, risk your life in order to do that. You have to be an amazing actor because you're going to be an undercover and you have to go inside the territories with different language, different body language, different clothes, different smell everything. You have to be an amazing actor and a very cool guy because 
there is a lot of things that happening around you and you have to avoid all the noises and just concentrate on your the thing that you've been sent to do and former chief of staff at number 10 who believes remaking conservatism can unite the country once more it's Nick Timothy liberalism on one hand can simply mean a kind of pluralism a commitment to one another that we know we're all a bit different and therefore we have you know we want to tolerate different ways of life and different views and that that is the sort of the good side of liberalism I think the other side of liberalism is it, it tolerates difference uh, and it tolerates pluralism as a means of progress because the trial and error those things allow means that we get a an ever improving society and the danger of that is that once you think that you are set on a course of inevitable progress, then people who disagree with your view about the end point must be irrational. They must be nefarious. They must be, they're stopping uh, this inevitable positive change towards this ever more perfect society. Never miss another Johnny Gould's Jewish State. And be first to hear the next show by subscribing now. Follow Johnny Gould on Twitter and Johnny Gould Show on Facebook. And if you liked what you heard today, leave a rating or review. That really helps bring more listeners to the show.